This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Real EFL League One podcast, the podcast where we take a look at all the wonderful action that England's third tier has to offer each weekend. It's the international period now, so there are just a handful of games for us to discuss this week, as most of the weekend's fixtures were postponed due to international call-ups. However, there were still some big moments, interesting talking points and hazy refereeing decisions for us to discuss alongside news surrounding Reading's harrowing ownership situation, which we will get into a little bit later. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoy the following episode. If you do, please leave us a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice. We've seen a big uptorn in new ratings, so it would mean it would mean a lot to us if you could drop us a nice little five-star score to help us grow. Now, without further ado, let's get into the action. And of course, I won't be on my own to delve through all the weekend's events. I'm joined today by Chris Lamming. Chris, how are things? Hello, very well. Thank you, Adam. How are you? I'm okay. It's been a bit of a rough weekend. And- Friday morning, my uh, I had to say goodbye to my kettle. Oh, um, so that hasn't been fun, and I really don't enjoy boiling water in a pot and waiting. So that's kind of ruined my day. And then Ireland, being Irish, of course, you can tell by my accent, lost uh, in the football to Greece on Friday night, and then lost in the rugby to New Zealand on Saturday night. So it's been a bit, a bit of a, a rough weekend for for myself and for Irish people. Um, so, but at least we're we're not on here to talk about the international games, which were relatively boring. I'm also joined today by Adam Pendlebury, a Wigan Athletic fan, but there were no Wigan games this week. Adam, how are you coping with your withdrawal symptoms? Yeah, well, we had a game on Tuesday and we we, we actually won that game on penalties and got the two mm-hmm. points and we qualified uh, for the next round of the former Pizza Trophy. So... Um, I'll have to take that at the moment because we haven't had much to uh, to celebrate uh, and the FA Cup draw today hasn't helped us either. We're away at Exeter two weeks after we are away at Exeter. So, not, not great. Apart from, apart from that, very good. Thank you. Hope you're all well. And how are, you, how, how are you feeling about the FA Cup draw, Chris? Because I believe Lincoln City have drawn Morecambe. 
Is that correct? Because I literally just checked the draw about five, ten minutes ago when we joined. Yeah, I think it's it's okay, isn't it? You'd like to think it's a it's a winnable mm. game against a team in the league below. Lincoln could do with a win. Uh, but I have to admit, at the moment, I think for them, the the league is taking priority. Um, they're a bit of a, mm-hmm. of a sticky run at the moment. So, yeah, two or three weeks, is it a couple of weeks until the first round kicks off. It could be a a real kind of kickstart, maybe, kickstart. to, to uh, a few positive wins or positive performances at least. Um, but, of course, when you play against a team below you, there's always that little bit of expectation and a potential mm-hmm. but not in, sadly. Well, the first game we're going to discuss before we get into the one of the biggest surprise results of the weekend, which was, of course, Burton Albion beating Lincoln City away from home. But I first want to discuss the game on Monday because the last podcast would have been out on Sunday. They wouldn't have been able to cover the game. This was between Burton Albion and Cambridge United. Burton Albion came away with a 2-1 victory. I was incredibly... This game was, by the way, it was live on Sky Sports, I believe. And this was a really, really impressive performance by Burton Albion, I thought, especially in the first half. Uh, I want to give a massive shout-out to to Ba on the right-hand side. And I think during the game, what I noticed was uh, Burton would constantly try and overload that left-hand side. And then that would, of course, make Cambridge United shift over in their defensive block. So when you overload one side, usually the defending team will push their defensive block over to that side to try and make up the numbers. But then it leaves space free on the far flank. So then what Burton Albion were trying to do was get the ball, overload the left, quickly switch it out to Ba on the right, and he would then isolate the Cambridge United left back, which he did so, so well. That first goal takes him on, drops the shoulder, cuts in on the right, or, or just flicks it to his right. Ball in, nice finish. The same the second time round, only this time it was uh, Joe Powell, I believe, that crossed the ball, that switched the play out to Ba. It was not as clean. The second goal wasn't as clean as the first. Josh Walker's goal opened the score in the 10th minute. It wasn't as clean as that one. It took a bit of a it was poor defending all over but it, it, it was kind of nicked nicked on in the box I want to say and then and then Oshelaja of course pokes at home. Really sloppy defending but I thought Port Albion were really good that first half as well and even when, even when Cambridge United started to get after the second goal, Cambridge United started to dominate the ball a little bit but now we were so, so good, and the two wings would drop back into the back line. They played with uh, kind of a, 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 a... When they were defending low, it was a 6-3-1 because the wingers would go right back, and they, they would follow almost the the Cambridge United fullbacks. It was a 6-3-1, and, and they defended for our lives. There was one instance where I believe it was Tom Hamer blocked a shot in the, early in the first half, and it just... It was a, it was a really good block, and the game might have been level at that time, or else it was one 0 to Burton. It was an unbelievable block. They were just so so good. They were. I was really really impressed, and they're now up to thirteenth in the league, especially after yesterday's result against Lincoln City, which was unbelievable. They've won three games in the spin. It was so so impressed with them. I mean, I remember a couple of weeks ago, Chris. I think you were on the podcast with me and and Gary at the time, and we were talking about Burton Albion going through their their Sunderland cycle, basically, we call it, where, you know, you you struggle, you're about to go down, appoint a new manager, he comes in, takes you out of the places, you stay up, you know, rinse and repeat. But they're seeing, they're, they haven't done that this season. They had a really poor start, but now they're starting to pick up points and pick up wins. I mean, that's nine out of nine now. Unbelievable. And and fair play to, to, to Dino and his men. But we will 
we'll discuss the the Lincoln City game. Chris, you were you were less than impressed with Lincoln City, of course, with the result. And we will discuss Lincoln in a second. But talk to me about Borton Albion. Were you were you really impressed with them? I know the goal was it wasn't exactly like they carved you open or anything. It was a set piece, I believe. But 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 still, how impressed were you with them? I'm particularly impressed with them without the ball. And and exactly the same thing you mentioned against Cambridge. They were very much a, a flat back six for a lot, particularly a lot of the first half. Um, so Lincoln tend to attack with a five, two wing backs, two kind of inside forwards and, and a centre forwards, um, which against the back four normally causes a few problems. Against the back five, it normally causes a bit of a stodgy game. But it really was a back six. It was a flat back six. And Lincoln couldn't couldn't create anything. It was... We were discussing, I was discussing before the game to some, some friends, uh, like what sort of game do you think it's going to be? And this was a game pre-match that includes two teams that are bottom five in the league for XG, possession, shots, um, progressive passes, key passes. So all, a lot of, kind of those uh, offensive statistics, neither team are, are particularly outstanding in those. So we, we kind of predicted a bit of a, a stodgy game, a game without many clear-cut chances, um, and, and without yeah, without a lot going on really in terms of quality, mm-hmm. and the overall game had a, an xG of 0.76, and that's with both teams combined uh, for the whole game, with just two shots on target combined for the whole for the whole 90 minutes for both teams. Um, so it really was that sort of game. But so in in possession, there was one bright spark for Burton again. Quadro Bar, he was he was excellent. He was he was always a threat um, with his ball carrying, but without without possession. Uh, Burton were outstanding. They really were, and it's no surprise um, that they've, you know, they've made a, a tactical shift in the last six games. They won't gone from predominantly playing in a back three slash five to a black four <laughs> slash slash six. Um, but they they're unbeaten in those last six games, and they've got four wins out of those as well. It's it's worked, and credit to them. I think I think they were they were not for a second did they deserve to lose that game. Um, I think it would be. I think it'd be a very, very, very biased Burton fan to say they probably deserved the three points, but neither team deserved the three the three points. But they were brilliant without the ball. They really were. To get, I think it was less than 0.3 XG in total for Lincoln City at home against a team who, again, they're on really good form, but they are bottom half of the league, we'll say, is worrying. And Chris, before we started the podcast, you highlighted some some really worrying stats for Mark Kennedy's side, including PPDA, which if people don't know, PPDA is passes allowed per defensive action, meaning how many passes you allow the opposition to have when you're defending. So if you have, say, you say your PPDA is 20 and another team's is 8, that means the team will A, press more because they allow the opposition to only have 8 passes on average, whereas you allow the opposition to have 20. Lincoln was was fifteen point was fifteen point one. Yeah, worst in the league. Yeah, or lowest in the league. Lowest. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, yeah, could, yeah, lowest rank. Lowest rank. Yeah. <laughs> because this is these stats don't highlight. You know, it's not as if they're pressing really well and they're creating a lot of opportunities and they're. You know, the XG is looking great and this and that. It's it's quite worrying. It's actually highlighting a worrying trend for Lincoln City. Are you worried about the upcoming couple of games? You know, the next block of games, I suppose, before the next international break is is 
looks difficult enough, I suppose, from a from from a Lincoln City perspective. Yeah, uh, if I'm honest, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned, and I wasn't massively concerned before Saturday. And it's strange because we we mm. kind of had the spectacle that we all expected, yet we've come out of the game being a lot more concerned than maybe any Lincoln fan was prior to this. Because in isolation, some of those metrics, you mentioned PPDA, that there's one that we're really low on, which is crosses, for example, that we discussed in our Stacey West podcast this week. And individual metrics, you can kind of say, well, they don't tell the whole story. You know, stats are useful, but they don't, they don't tell you everything. But I think the worrying trend is that Lincoln are in the bottom five of the league for almost every single attacking metric. They really struggle to create chances. And, you know, as, as a Lincoln fan, and I think we'd all do this for our own, our own teams, we see some stats, you can almost kind of excuse them, you can kind of justify them. But if you're analysing a team objectively, just like you said with um, underlying numbers for Everton, for example, in the Premier mm. League, you mentioned that off camera, didn't you? Like, as much as they might not have the points total, yeah, they're performing really well with their underlying numbers. And you expect that trend to continue as... I'm not, not sorry. If the, that trend continues, then then mm-hmm. the points tally will, yeah, undoubtedly. You'll usually well. always see the kind of a, like as you said, if everyone are struggling in the league at the start, but their xG, I think at one stage, a couple of games in, was like the second highest, which is bizarre. And they were like, they were down in the relegation zone, but their xG was the second highest, and they were their stats look great. I'm not saying exactly. you you can guarantee that incline and results but usually there will be usually you'll start you know coming towards the mean of your 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 statistics really you know it's very rare that a team will constantly outperform all metrics i mean you might have a couple of examples like leicester city in 2016 but for the most part that doesn't happen so everton are now starting to pick up the points and you see them moving more towards that mean of where they should be really lincoln city I suppose you could say you're doing the same thing, but it's regressing really because they're going towards their mean, but the mean is not where you'd want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really concerned in that regard is, you know, you, you've always got to have a little bit of balance. They are of the third best record for XG allowed um, against. So, you know, they're quite good at keeping teams away from their goal, or at least mm-hmm. um, limiting the kind of quality of chances conceded. But, when you can't create anything, it, it's really worrying. And the one that really stood out to me, to be honest, is um, touches in the opposition area. So Lincoln are, are bottom of the league for touches in, uh, in in opposition area. But they're not just bottom, they are miles away. So Lincoln City have had 116 touches in opposition area so far this season, um, which is just 9.66 per 90. So even per 90, when it evens out per 90, they're still bottom by quite some margin. Second bottom is Cheltenham which probably is, is not a huge surprise to most people listening, but there are 142. And then the next two worst are both Carlisle and Wigan on 151. So Lincoln are miles away in that regard. And that is really concerning. I have to admit, you know, it, mm. one, one, one metric on its own is, it, it is kind of understandable and you can kind of excuse it. But it's, it's literally every attacking metric. Yeah. Um, bottom five for it. So it is concerning, yeah. I, I think they have to massively improve their attacking output. They haven't got a fit striker at the moment. I think that, that has a huge a huge um, part to play. They've got three first-team strikers in the squad. None of them are fit, and they haven't been for three or four weeks. Um, so, of course, that absolutely has something to do with it. But I was actually looking back at some stats earlier. 
even in the match where they beat Blackpool 3-0 at the start of the season, when um, Lincoln had a pretty much a, a fully fit side, Lincoln scored three goals with just four touches in the opposition area in that 90 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel really positive about everything at the moment, guys. <laughs> Adam, you had something you wanted to add in. Yeah, there, I just wanted like, to um, ask Chris about the the game as a, a whole. Was it did the red cards? Yeah, really that was my next question. Is Danny Mandrew's yeah. red card? Yeah, did it first of all the merits of it, and then do you think it really impacted mm. on the game, or did you could you not based on those stats that you've given us? Could, could you not really see Lincoln scoring in any case, even with eleven on the pitch? Well, in the first half, Lincoln were the better side in possession. Um, without creating anything clear-cut, I think Lincoln definitely had the, the lion's share. Um, it was always going to be a tight game, as we said. Like the clear-cut chances were very much at a premium for the whole game. But Lincoln definitely were um, offering a little bit more in possession than Burton were. It was one of the few games this season where Lincoln have had more, more possession than their opposition. Um, and Danny Manjou was a really good player on the ball. So as soon as he gets sent off, I think Lincoln's chances of getting a win pretty much disappear. But you, at the same time, you still kind of expect them to be able to make it very, very difficult for Burton. Um, as it as it transpired, Burton knocked the ball into the box from the resulting free kick, won a corner and scored from that corner. And mm. and then that was it, really. Um, and was it a red card? Yeah, I thought so. You know, my, my gut instinct was, no, that's that's always a that's only a yellow card. And as soon as I'd said it, like the kind of that other part of your brain goes, no, it isn't. It's definitely a red. Like if it was the other yeah. way around, you'd be you'd be kind of. Well, Mark Kennedy that. didn't even dispute it, did he? After the game, I was listening to his post-match interview, and he didn't one say it wasn't a red card. He actually was more disappointed with Mandrew for for making the challenge in the first place, and he came out and said that him and Mandrew had had numerous. He said multiple. Uh, really difficult conversations during the week. I'm not really sure what he's referring to there, but that's what they were words from Mark Kennedy's mouth. He said they had a couple of really diff- uh, difficult conversations, and he was kind of, I think he used he might have he might have used I don't want to say he definitely did he might have used the word mind-boggling or something to that effect. He said it was kind of blew his mind that after those conversations, then Danny Mandrew would go in for a tackle like that and get sent off. So I don't actually think again, as I said, it probably was a red card and. Usually, managers will say, "Oh, it wasn't a red of this," but but I think Mark Kennedy knew himself. He was he he didn't really defend it after the game. He was more disappointed with Danny for his actions. We'll say on the pitch. So I think, as you said, Chris, it, it's probably one of the things where you're fuming that you know it, it happens when you when you're when you're watching it live, but then you, you your your rationality kicks in. You go, "Actually, okay, it was a red." Um, we will move on, though, to the next game, which was Blackpool 3, Stevenage Neil. And speaking of managers who don't accept responsibility, Steve Evans. Now, we'll get on to Steve Evans in a second. That won't be too harsh. But his interview, again, was was full of really wonderful quips, as, as it always is. Adam, you're going to discuss this game for us. Jordan Rhodes opened the scoring in the 38th minute with a seventh goal this season. And I don't think he will get many goals I don't want to say easier than this. He was in the right position, but it, it kind of just hits him, doesn't it? For 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 all the goals he scored over the years, this is definitely one where yeah. he had very little to do with the goal, actually, or being involved in the goal. Um, this is a really good win for Blackpool. They were on some 
tricky form. I mean, this is their first win in three games, but prior to that, they picked up some some really nice points. And, you know, despite a really tough start to the season, where they, I think they went something like four or five games with just goalless draws. They are up to seventh now, which is impressive, although they do have a game in hand on, on the likes of Wigan, or Wickham, sorry, and, and Derby County. Um, big win, this, though. This is a big win. 3-0. There was a massive talking point in the game, which happened at 1-0. We'll, we'll get on to that in a moment, but I want to discuss Blackpool first. Were you impressed with Blackpool? Yeah, very much so. Um, Jordan Rhodes is Jordan Rhodes, and sometimes you say, well, it, it is lucky, but I think... I think even Steve Evans in his post match was kind of saying, you know, they're they're in he's in the right area. Mm. Um but he, he's he's that sort of player that I think for Blackpool they, they really need him. He, he, he's always in the right place. He missed a chance early on, but he's there to miss them. He always seems to be in the right position and he'll score more than he misses. And he's also a very clever player as well. He, mm-hmm. he's he's played at He's played at most of his career at championship level. And you have to say the, the pass that he put through for the third goal, that was a really good yeah. contender for goal of the day, I thought. The play, well. the play overall was brilliant. Jazz with Builder playing in the 1-2 at Rhodes, and it was a great goal. And then a beautiful finish as well from Hamilton. He looks looks a decent player when he played against Wigan the other week. He, I think I think you probably got to say the second one was was pretty lucky. It's one of those, isn't it? That it is on target, so it's always given as a goal, isn't it? But would it have mm. been a goal but for the deflection? Arguably not. So there's a bit of luck there for Blackpool. But from what I saw on the balance of play, obviously I've not watched the full game, but on the extended highlights, I think I think Blackpool deserved it. Albeit, as we, as you alluded to before, there was a decision at one nil that that could have changed the game. Um, who knows? But um, yeah, Steve Evans always gives an interesting interview. He managed to get Tesco and Sainsbury's <laughs> and thousands of uh, supermarkets in the country into uh, an interview. It's like one of those where you try and get um, song lyrics into uh, into a piece, and it, somebody must have told them <laughs> to get as many supermarkets as possible. I felt we were solid. Sorry for Aldi and Lidl; they were they didn't get a mention. <laughs> It was an interesting view, and you're right. I mean, I think it was about 30 seconds in, he drops Tesco, which is just fascinating. It's, it's just such a Steve Evans interview. It's great. Although in the interview, he did say something to the effect of the... Or, well, well, actually, we'll get on to his later comments in a minute. I, I want to just talk about the decision, the decision first. Adam, you and I both saw kind of the same angle, which is really difficult to tell. For me, I thought it did look on... But again, I'm not looking down the line. I'm looking, you know, at the, the TV, I suppose, replay angle, which is which is really isn't great when you when you want an offside or when you're analysing an offside decision because you can't see down the line. What 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 was I mean, the tricky one. Do you do you kind of feel sympathy to the referee or, or you know, do you think it was do you think it was on? Do you think Stevenage were undone there? Because you know, it would have been one all and I suppose you can say the the game would have changed, even though I don't actually think Stevens were that good anyway. No, I mean I think um, it, what that what that angle reminded me of is when I used to do a little bit of refereeing, or when I played in um, matches where we had a referee and no referees assistants, and you, and you just kind of it's it's kind of a gut instinct where you think they are in relation to the other players. So from my angle, I did think that he looked 
he looked onside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think then in the interview, Steve Evans said that at halftime, Neil Critchley said that he'd looked at it and uh, said, we've got away with one there. So um, with that in mind, I think you've got to take his word for that part of the, uh, of the interview and um, say that they were unlucky. But, I mean, I saw Steve in his last week um, and against the 10-man Wigan for most of the game, I, I wasn't impressed with them to, as to where they were in the table. I'd be, mm-hmm. I'd be, I, think, I think at the end of the season, I'd be pretty sure that Blackpool will finish above Stevenage, in my view. I think I, I did say Blackpool for the playoffs early on in the season. Um, I think right at the start of the season, but then when they had, like you said, that run, I don't, I don't think they scored, did they, in four or five matches until until they played Wigan. <laughs> we got the, them going again. The run of form, though, like even just looking at it here, it's not great. I mean, they beat Cheltenham Town away from home 3-0. They obviously beat Wigan Athletic at home as well, 1-0. But you have defeats there, 3-1 to Oxford United at home, 3-2 to Bolton, one all with Charlton, uh, 2-2 with Carlisle United. Lost to Wigham and or to Wickham. I always say Wickham. Wickham in the EFL Trophy, and then again a heavy defeat yesterday to Blackpool. Somehow, though, when you look at the table, they're fifth. Uh, I don't really know how. I understand they have two games extra played, but I just I feel like every week Stevenage don't pick up points, and then every single week I check the table and they they are somehow in the playoff spots. Again, though, as I said, when you look at like Bolton Wanderers, are 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 a point behind them with two games in hand. I think you probably will see Stevenage drop out of the top six pretty quickly. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I, I do think Steve Evans is a good manager. I know he's quite a divisive guy, but Stevenage were just promoted this season. I don't think many people have expected him to get promotion anyway. So again, like we spoke about with, with Lincoln City, they're kind of just progressing to their means, which is okay. This happens. This happens countless times every single season. There's always teams that overperform at the start, a bit of adrenaline, and eventually they, they start regressing to their means. Uh, Blackpool, though, are kind of the opposite. They have a decent a decent side. Jordan Rhodes now with seven goals this season. He's one of the top goal scorers in League One. Do you think... Well, I have two questions to ask here. They're both, both completely different topics. But, Adam, there was talk in the press about a week or two ago that there's a clause in Jordan Rhodes' contract that Huddersfield Town can recall him on the 2nd of January. Huddersfield Town are struggling in the championship as well they're going to be fighting relegation this season they'll be struggling for goals Jordan Rhodes is one of the top goal scorers in League 1 you kind of look to him and go okay would you not bring him back you chip him a couple of goals however when asked about this Neil Critchley kind of said well yeah it's in it's in most players contracts so I don't really think it was news although the journalist and outlet that reported it maybe aren't the most reputable I don't mean to be disrespectful there to anyone but I think you for those listening will probably know who I'm talking about um, but Adam, do you think it would be smart for Huddersfield Town to recall Jordan Rhodes in January? It's a difficult one, really, because he he hasn't scored a lot of goals at Championship level recently, mm-hmm. but he hasn't really had many opportunities. So you wonder whether the confidence that he's built from scoring these goals at League One, he can take that then back into the Championship, because we know that certainly early in his career, he was fantastic at Championship level, you know, for Blackburn and Huddersfield as well. Um, so yeah, these were we, we had we had one last year. Everton recalled um, Nathan Broadhead from Wigan, and then and then Everton yeah. sold then Everton sold him, didn't they? After that, so 
you know, it's. I think they recalled the Sims as well, wasn't it? Everything they recalled both of them and barely yeah. played either. I think that. I mean, I don't think Huddersfield will do that if they recall him. I think it's to play, but the yeah. question is: it, the question is, do you want to save a bit of money on that wage and maybe try and bring somebody else in? Um, mm. I think it's very speculative, really. I'm sure they've got people watching him week in, week out. I'd hope so, anyway. <laughs> And um, I guess it's for them to make the decision. But if he doesn't go, I, I could see him hitting 20, maybe. You know, he's got going now, and he's got fit, and he could hit 20. And if you've got someone hitting 20, it gives you a really good chance of making the top six. Well, Blackpool's next game is away at Oxford United, who are in incredible form at the moment. That's going to be a really, really difficult game for Blackpool, whereas Stevenage's next game is at home against Port Vale, who themselves are actually struggling, so maybe Stevenage can get back to winning ways there. Before we move on from this game, though, Chris, in his post-match interview, Steve Evans practically said that the officials were unable to do their jobs, that they weren't, they weren't at the required level for the EFL in general, not just specifically League One. He then brought up the fact that VAR should be implemented into all of the EFL games. This is a very controversial topic, especially in the top flight at the moment, because there's we all. I mean, unless you were living under a rock, you 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 saw the Luis Diaz goal from Liverpool and Spurs about how would you not? It was everywhere. It was clubs calling for replays. There was, I mean, there was just more. The Sky Sports had a breaking news on every corner of, of, of on, on my TV screen. It was bizarre. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was watching over one decision. Um, but it, it was incredibly controversial for that reason. A lot of people, and then again, obviously, as well, the, the, I forgot to mention the Scott McTominay goal for Scotland against Spain at the, at the weekend where he scores an incredible free kick and the VAR are looking for an offside and they're looking for a foul and they're almost looking for a way to chalk the goal off. They're finding ways to remove your ability to celebrate. Do you think, Chris, that VAR would be a healthy addition to EFL football? And do you even think it would be... Do you even think EFL has the... the like the... What's the word? The financial requirements to, to have a system like EFL in, or to, like VAR in place? Absolutely not. Uh, just no. 100% no. I will defend that at that answer until the day I die. <laughs> I really, or in its current form, at least, I think it's. Yeah. You know, I think for me, and, and I, this is my argument, taking all the controversy away from it, for me, the the best moment of football is the moment the goal goes, and football's about goals ultimately. And that moment of joy, that eruption in the crowd, you don't get that anywhere else in your life. That mm-hmm. immediate kind of just shot of whatever it is, dopamine. or Hugging dopamine. a random stranger and everything. Yeah, exactly. You never do that for anything yeah, else. Yeah, that moment, that moment is kind of what football is all about. Yeah. And in the Premier League, you have fans complaining about VAR because that moment is kind of diminished because you can't fully celebrate because, you, hang on, is this going to get chucked up because of VAR? And I think for that reason over any other reason, it's just... Absolutely not. Mistakes will happen. And I agree with Steve Evans that the, the standard of officiating is not great in the AFL. Um, though I, what I will say is um, Rebecca Welsh, who refereed Lincoln Burton on Saturday, was outstanding, but absolutely outstanding. Didn't make a decision, a, a bad decision. But on the whole, I can see um, his grievance, but 
VAR is absolutely not the answer. Certainly not in its current form, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on that, Adam? Because it's a, yeah, it's such a horrible debate. Because like on the one hand, as Chris said, you can kind of feel that the, if the officials aren't really up to standard. But then again, how do you how do you like bring them up to standard? Like is is the is the I know it sounds like a silly question to ask, but it's you know you see people asking, especially in the Premier League, and they say bring over referees from this country or or or, or give it to X or you know bring X pros in to do it and. Again, there's no there's no real clear answer on the how you you can bring an official up to the, the required standard. What do you think? I think the I think the FA have got to look at uh, the grassroots. I think of refereeing, and I know we've yeah. had this thing for years. The respect campaign, but you know, I watch quite a junior football, and some of the state mm. that the referees get is atrocious, and there might be some good quality in there that gets sort of. Um, deterred from moving up the ladder um a friend of mine who was an i thought was an excellent football referee um switched to rugby union and he's an excellent rugby union referee but that's because he was sick of getting the stick he he was getting and that was a sort of um uh just below sort of national league level um so i think if they're not there in the system what what can we do i mean we it's a sad state of affairs, but we've probably got the best that we could have. Um, and like we said, financially, the the VAR will it, it, it's they're not going to have the resources to do to do that. I'm not sure about what is the goal line technology in League One and League Two. Yeah, it didn't it didn't used to be, did it? I think it was quite um, obviously the Premier League and the Championship had it. But I, I agree though with the, the previous point because. Like I've only experienced it once uh, because mm-hmm. we've not been a Premier League team for, and we're on a League One podcast, so most will not have experienced VAR. But the only time I experienced it was at Leicester in the FA Cup, and we were two 0 down, uh, about half an hour left. Cross comes in, looks on side, goal. Everyone's celebrating because we don't think VAR because we've not got that. It's not programmed into our brain. And then the next thing, it's chalked off. And when you look on the replay, you know, it's with all the lines drawn across. But it's just losing that excitement because you think, well, the next, you know, half an hour, great. It could be we could get back into this game. And you've lost it. And I think now, because it's entrenched on the Premier League fans' minds, every time now you feel like, oh, can we really celebrate? There's an instinct to celebrate, but there's then something else there to... uh, I mean, I'm not actually advocating uh, gambling, but occasionally, you know, if you've got if you've got someone as a first goal scorer, you've got your ticket there, and you, you, I used to be jumping around celebrating, and you can't do that anymore. Yeah. You, you, you've just got to fingers crossed that it doesn't get overturned, and and especially when the VAR system doesn't seem to be functioning as well as it could do because yeah of- well this is like it, it, it's a great point but like I, people always say about the goal line technology and the reason nobody has a gripe with goal line technology is because it always works there was one example where goal line technology didn't work and that was Sheffield United versus Aston Villa in during COVID 2019-20 it was disastrous but if you take goal line technology has been in practice in England since 2014 it's nine years now and there's been one error that's you know as good as it, as you can get really for a system. VAR is subjective anyway. 
I just, you know, it's not as if the video doesn't replays. Like, it's like goal line technology, the ball's over the line, goal 100%. Objective, no subjectivity about it. Ball's fully over the line to goal, simple. VAR or, you know, outfield play in general, tackles, they're kind of subjective anyway. I know you can say offside there, but when they're, you know, playing a ball through on goal, then you think, okay, he might be a centimeter off. And I'm just thinking, would you not just give the benefit of doubt to the attacker in that situation? I mean, really, like, you're splitting hairs here. I just, I, I think the whole system is is flawed. Although what I will say is that I believe VAR is here to stay. I think this is an early representation of VAR. And I think in probably 10, 15 years, it will be almost like TMO and rugby. In, in a sense, you don't really even think it's there half the time. Um, whereas right now it's the center of everything. But I do think eventually probably it will get introduced to files. I think that will be the plan that it may, it might not be next year or a year after it might be five years but I do think all EFL teams are you know will or Premier League and EFL will have VAR in place in in in, in one way or another regardless of whatever whatever that looks like but away days are great especially when your striker bags a last minute winner but there's nothing quite like playing at home and do you know what the same goes for McDonald's why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash realEFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. Enough of the Chabu VAR. We will move on, though, to Carlisle United, Neil Leighton, Orient 1. Big win, Chris, for Leighton Orient, but a very, very disappointing result for Carlisle United, who had such a great win just before this. Such a great win. And then you think, okay, you're playing Leighton Orient, who are on decent form, but you would think this is the time you can, you know, put back-to-back wins together, or at least get four points from, from or it would have been five points from nine, because they, they, they got four from the last six before that. And then they lost, and it was it was a nice goal. I, I, let's be honest, I do. I think it was a really nice goal. The, the build-up play, the ball from was it Joe Pigger played the ball in, and it was a really nice finish. But I mean, Leighton Orient probably in that first half at least. I want to say first half could have been one or two up anyway. Uh, talk to me about uh, through this game. It was it was even enough in my opinion. But, but, but what's your thoughts? Yeah, I thought Carlisle would be a good uh, good value in this game going into it. Just mm-hmm. after the the fantastic away victory at Bolton, you know, that would have been a, yeah. a huge result, a huge atmosphere as well. It's been a great day for Carlisle fans. And I think as a fan, you really want 
to kick on and use that as a springboard into the next the next mm-hmm. game. And um, Kyle Aldridge started really slowly in this game. And, and I think Paul Simpson mentioned this in his uh, post-match interview as well. He was disappointed at how slowly they started. Um, he said they had plenty of possession. They actually had a lot more possession in this game than they've had in, in, in a lot of other games so far this season, with 60%. But he, he quote, uh, said they had possession in rubbish areas of the pitch, um, which Leighton Orient would be quite happy with. I, I felt what do you think Orient... is a rubbish area? Sorry, Chris. Just sorry to interrupt. But what would be, in your opinion, a, a rubbish area? Just just trying to get into the mind of Paul Simpson here. I feel like a, a poor area of the pitch to have the ball in is in, in your in your back line without yeah. a clear purpose or without a clear kind of um, kind of pattern mm-hmm. to try and progress through. If it's just kind of almost passing for passing's sake, um, and yeah. it, there's there's definitely. Benefits of, of, of that style of football playing out from the back is about control, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you can try and if you're in control of the ball, you can manipulate positions to to create chances higher up the pitch. Like Brighton are fantastic at it, aren't they? You know, they they, yeah. they oppress and then they play through the press with, with precision. Um, but Carlisle didn't really seem to, and they seem to play mm-hmm. the ball in the back line for a, a good few passes. And then when there was no more passes available, they just went long. With, without real mm-hmm. real purpose, I think that's probably what you'd be disappointed with. I thought Leighton Orient were pretty good uh, in the first half. I felt like they they definitely had the better chances. Again, it wasn't a game that was particularly high um, in in regards to clear cut chances, but there was a couple in the first half. I can't remember who it was. El, El Mazzuni, I think, hit the bar. So Orient had a corner uh, headed away. Mazzuni around twenty five or so yards out, um, and thunders against the against the crossbar. That was a really good opportunity, or a really good effort, should I say. And then, yeah, a few minutes later, Orient got the goal and it was really good build-up play. Joe Piggott dropped deep into that pocket and mm-hmm. he's, he's really good at that. Um, and then Soteri is a really good kind of running runner that, that kind of gets in behind and, and, and runs channels when Piggott does drop deep. I have to admit, the goalkeeper made the finish a little bit easier. He came he came rushing out and got absolutely nowhere near the ball. Um, there was still a bit of an angle on the finish, but he had an open goal to aim at. But I think it was the, the build-up and particularly the through ball deserved something positive at the end of it. But yeah, the uh, the Cambridge, not Cambridge, sorry, Carlisle goalkeeper certainly made um, mm-hmm. made it easy. That made it 1-0. And then I have to admit, it was it was pretty even in the second half. Carlisle definitely improved. They, they certainly increased their intensity. The underlying numbers suggest that as well. Um, but they only had one shot on target in the whole game. Uh, so ultimately, and again, the Carlisle have got the second lowest XG in the league at the moment. So they are struggling to create clear-cut chances and, and mm. that kind of came back to bite them a little bit in this game. Though I, al- I always kind of felt Leighton Orient were kind of in control of this. Um, what, certainly once they went a goal ahead, they, they, they managed the game really, really intelligently, to be honest. I've been really impressed with them in the last three or four weeks. Uh, I think they've really settled into League One, to be honest. They are now 10th in the league, I believe, 17 points, yeah. I mean, you have three wins from four, and they're three wins from four games. They've, they've only one loss in five. They're one point behind Derby County. I know there's an extra game played, but if you know, when you consider what everyone's hopes were for Derby County this season, that's pretty good. Same with Charlton. They're above Charlton, two points above Charlton. Adam, Carlisle United are 20th with 11 points. Wigan Athletic are 23rd with five. Carlisle have played two extra games. Are you, as a Wigan fan, are you are you looking at Carlisle, believing that you can hunt them down because they're the team that are just above the the relegation zone now? Carlisle, they're they're on two games extra played is a lot considering Fleetwood, Reading, Wigan, and Ch- well, 
Fleetwood, Reading, and Wigan are all on eleven. Cheltenham then are on ten. Yeah, there's a little bit of a gap, like you said. There's the games in hand, but you need to win mm. them. Um, and we're in a really bad run of form. Um, we knocked those eight points off in no time, didn't we? But it, I, I think that was like the first target, and then maybe there was a bit of complacency after that. And then it's it's quite difficult to pick it up again. So I think this break is needed. I think we need to, um, like I said, it was confidence booster on uh, Tuesday because most of the first team played. and We looked very good in the second half. But I think at the moment we need to look at what we're doing. We, we need to mm-hmm. get back to what we were doing well earlier in the season. And if we do that, I'm not really looking above. I think we will naturally climb up the league and get to... Um, I still think we'll get a mid-table finish this season, um, which would be a fantastic achievement given the position we were in at the start of the season. We've got some very good players. We've got a bit of naivety in the team because it's young. We've been missing it. Charlie White. We're talking about sendings off before. That was a silly tackle from him. Three against Portsmouth. It was definitely a sending off. But we miss him because he's an experienced striker. The defensive line um, a couple of weeks ago had, um, I don't think anybody was over the age of 20, including the goalkeeper as well. So it's that, we're just missing that bit of experience. We've got Jason Kerr coming back, which I think will add a bit more experience to the um, to the back line, which is crucial. We're conceding too many goals from set pieces. The organisation isn't there. But... Going forward, once we get Matt Smith back, we've, he's been a big miss, very good player we've got from Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Once we get him back and Charlie White back, um, I think I think we've got enough. Um, but lose a couple more and that gap gets starts getting big and you're looking up thinking, wow, um, this is pressurised. So we, I think we need to need to pick points up at Exeter next week. We mm-hmm. need to get a win. It's a, probably the most important game of the season. So, um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, Carlisle, though, again, are doing well. I think all the um, all the promoted teams, really, are giving it a decent go, aren't they, this season? You know, so yeah. there is still a chance, isn't there? You'd say a realistic chance that they might all stay up, potentially. Um, I'd be, it'd be interesting to see what, if that's happened in the last few years where all four clubs have stayed up. But... Um, I wouldn't know that off the top of my head. Maybe a research project for next week. <laughs> well, it's interesting because none of them are actually in the relegation zone right now, although I know that will change. But, but 11, 12 games in and none are in the, the bottom four is pretty impressive. But that might only last a week because Carlisle United's next game is at Fratton Park against an unbeaten Portsmouth, who I think are one of only four teams now left in the top four leagues of English football that are unbeaten. Alongside Arsenal, Spurs, and maybe Mansfield. I want to say, yeah. Man- are they still unbeaten? Mansfield yeah, well, there you go. Notts County yesterday, four-one. Yeah, they did. They went one-nil down, then ended up winning four-one. Yeah, uh, so they're still unbeaten. Spurs, Arsenal, and then Portsmouth. So that's going to be an incre- incredibly, incredibly difficult game for Paul Simpson's men. We will move on though to the last game of the game week, and that was Cambridge United one, Shrewsbury Town one. Chris. Cambridge United are, I mean, I think it was four or five games in, they were top of the league and we were just, we were saying this has just been an incredible start for them because 
I don't think anyone expected them to be there. Now they are just a couple of places above the relegation zone. They're 15 points. They're sitting 17th. One point above Shrewsbury Town level on points with Lincoln City. Not really been a good run of form for Cambridge. They, I think they've yeah, no wins in seven matches. In their last five games, they've lost twice and drawn three times. They're not conceding too many goals, I suppose. I mean, the record's not great, but the, they're only averaging a goal a game as well. I just thought against Shrewsbury Town, in my opinion, it looked kind of... It just it, it, They weren't creating many great chances. And then, out of nowhere, Michael Morrison beats five players and scores his first goal for Cambridge United in 16 years. The last time he scored for Cambridge United was to uh, January 2007 in the Conference Premier, which is obviously the, the fifth year now of English football. They're obviously in League One and he scored again. It was an incredible goal. I don't think they created many chances overall. I mean, the XG I have written down here was 0.81. Trudeau Town had more at 1.08. Of course, that will fluctuate depending on the on, on what platform you use. What did you think of this game, Chris? Do you think one all was a fair result or, or should Shrewsbury Town maybe have nicked uh, uh, three points? I think whenever anyone scores a goal like Michael Morrison scores, you want to get something out of the game with that. that was, but, but you're absolutely right in saying that they didn't really create a great deal other than that. I think we could, we've had the same conversation earlier in the podcast and I mentioned it with Lincoln, mentioned it with Stevenage. I think we're probably just seeing Cambridge performing at a level that we, we probably all mm-hmm. expected that at the start of the season. Um one thing that they've been good at throughout the whole season is that robustness and their, and their defensive organisation. They were just putting the ball in the net with a few chances that they did have in those in those early early games. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Seku Jene started the season on fire and he then uh, picked up a knock and an injury, so he'd been out of the team for a while. I think that definitely limits a little bit of attacking output as well. Um, I think Shrewsbury will probably be disappointed or more disappointed with the result. But yeah, ultimately, I think... When you, yeah, I like to, yeah, I like goals, and especially when when people score unexpected goals like that with a with, yeah, real um, kind of good piece of skill, you kind of want the team to get something out of that, really. So yeah, I, th- I think it's a case of Shrewsbury will be more than comfortable to move on. I think it was two very similar clubs really at the moment in regard to just both teams are defensively reasonably strong, but struggle creating chances, and it was a, the type of game that you probably expected. What do you make of Shrewsbury Town this season? Because I don't believe, and we've done a good few of these podcasts now, I don't believe I've hosted a podcast where they've won a game. And I've sat here saying, Shrewsbury Town, two, this other team, nil. It always seems to be a draw or a loss or a, you know, a tight affair. I don't really like, I mean, do you think 18th is probably would be good for them come the end of the season? They seem to just be teetering around that zone and they haven't, had a, a, you know, like some teams like Cambridge United top of the league and then they kind of fall to their mean again. But Shrewsbury Town are just being consistent, kind of just above the relegation zone, but not too bad to go, to, you know, to drop into it. What do you make of, of Taylor's side this season? And what what, yeah. what, what, what what do you think they can realistically achieve? I think they are at the level right now. I think they probably are in the sort of, mm. area, of the, area of the table where most people could expect them to be and probably where they expect themselves to be. I imagine with the squad that you have, they have decent players in that team, but they, do, they don't have a huge amount of depth. I think that definitely limits yeah. them. Um, I think they're hard enough to beat and they're organised well enough to, to pick up enough points to stay up. Um, they're definitely good enough to beat, beat the teams that we expect to be in, in and around that definite mm. kind of relegation 
picture. So yeah, I think Shrewsbury will be will be okay. They might they might flirt with that with that bottom four at times this season, but I think they'll have enough to, to steer clear of it without any real real pressure. Um, but I also can't see them pushing too much higher than where they are right now. Um, Daniel Udo appears to be their only um, yeah. real threat uh, in an attacking sense. He seems to be the only player that that really they can rely on to to create something. You know, he runs a lot. He does a lot of running. He runs a lot of channels. He presses a lot. Um, he doesn't get the opportunity to have many shots, but you know he he's definitely the most threatening player they have. Bar mm. that, they're just very well organised and, and very difficult to beat. Well, their next game is at home against Derby County, and Derby County are on a, a wonderful run of form. Draw, win, draw, win, draw. So if we're going by that pattern, the next game will be three points for Derby County, which would be a very satisfying pattern of results. For Cambridge United, the next game is in the EFL Trophy against Colchester at home. But then the next game in League One is Cheltenham Town away. So that's a, a, a wonderful opportunity for Cambridge United to pick up three points finally for the first time in what would be eight games then. Let's move on, though. And, and we've, we, finished the, we finished our roundup of the games, but I, there's just another kind of massive topic that's it's like a dark cloud looming over League One at the moment, or EFL in, the EFL in general, and that is the situation with Reading. I've covered this a lot for the real EFL on the on the site, I've <laughs> I must have written about four or five articles from from everything from from William Story to to Rishi Sunak's comments. I mean, I've covered everything. The transfer embargo, it's been it's been absolutely wild. That every week something new drops. So initially, the Telegraph report it will be I'd imagine two or three weeks this Tuesday that Reading would be placed under their third transfer embargo of the season for failure to pay HMRC on time again. Uh, there was also the fear that there would be a, a third points deduction. They already had minus four points go, uh, this season. There was a there was a worry. I think they they started with Adam was at minus three. They started with and then got another one or was it two two? Uh, three one it was. Yeah, yeah. So they started with they started the season with minus three, and then they ended up getting another one as the season progressed, and they're sitting twenty second down the league with six points. That means they obviously picked up 10 so far, but they only have six because of the points deduction. There was fear there would be a third points deduction if staff and player wages were failed to be submitted. Thankfully, that didn't go ahead. But I think it was Friday before last, the the staff and player wages were submitted, so that they didn't get a points deduction for that. Then it came out that the owner wanted to sell the club but that, and this was the Atlantic as well reported this by the way, that he wanted between 70 to 80 million pounds for the club, which includes everything. And I think, Chris, it was, yeah, it was, was it you? It was you, um, you and I, and I can't remember, it was a Keelan on the on two weeks ago on the podcast, yeah. And we were talking about this, and I said that he wanted 70, 80 million, but that West Bromwich Albion's owner wants 50 for a club that are fighting for promotion to the Premier League. You know, he wants 50 million for and Reading's owner wants 70 to 80 million for the club. And then I also have written down here Rishi Sunak's comments. Well, of course, then when he went on BBC Radio Berkshire, Rishi Sunak was asked about the situation with Reading and he said he knows how they feel because he supports Southampton, which I don't think helped anyone <laughs> who was a Reading fan. It was an absolutely bizarre comment for Rishi Sunak to make because 
as I said at the time, Southampton being relegated from the champion or from the Premier League is not the same as Reading almost dying as a football club. Then it was reported by Anthony Smith there, I think just last week, that Reading would enter administration by the end of the week and that the administrators would be in by the end of this week. And now it's being reported that William Story, former uh, sponsor of the F1 team, Haas and current CEO of Rich Energy uh, Drinks Company, will buy the club. He previously tried, previously tried to buy Sunderland and Coventry City and has failed. But third time's a charm. He may be Reading's next owner and he has pledged to pay off the £50 million debt. Although he is quite a controversial figure and I believe... Sell before we die. The the Reading ownership, the 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 group, sorry, the protest group. They they were very vocal about why they believe William Story wouldn't be the the ideal candidate to to buy Reading. And straight away, people say, okay, why? But they want they want the owner now to sell, and they're getting an owner, and they're criticizing him too. But as the comments that Sell before we die made. It's like take you know we don't want to go from the frying frying pan into the fire, and it's a fair point because William Story has a very shady past with business deals, and if you want to read up on them, you can because there's quite a lot. Adam, what are your thoughts on the situation? This is we usually try and keep the conversation lighthearted. We talk about results, but this is quite a damning situation because for some people, that game on a Saturday is all they have, and for the football club they love to be kind of on the brink, really. It's worrying. What What are your thoughts on this? Because as as a Wigan Athletic fan, you've experienced so you've experienced a lot in the last couple of years as well, alongside Reading. You you know your your League One rivals here, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, just ten years ago, both of you were in the Premier League. Yeah, um, very similar as well, and um, you know, two two owners that. You know, essentially bank rolls as to the Premier League, but did it in a sustainable way, I guess. Um, and eventually, you get to a point where cost of wages goes up. Trying to sustain it once you go out of the Premier League, like Wigan and Reading did in the same season, you're then into the Championship, um, and it becomes difficult to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, we then we were we then got into a position where Dave Whelan was not prepared to sort of meet the twelve million minimum a year. Um, he'd already put in on hundred million, which he'd written off, but it was his legacy for the family. He wasn't prepared to put any more in. And then you get to a point then where you you sell up twenty three million. Dave Whelan sold when we was sold to the IEC Limited on the Stanley Choi. Um, it was a bit concerning at the time that he was a high-stakes poker player who was uh, based uh, in the Cayman Islands, which uh, mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't always add up. But that said, Dave Whelan said at the time that it was um, he thought it was the best deal. Um, they were putting quite a lot of money in, but I think they just thought that if they put in... 10 million a year that's the premier league and it as we well know that isn't the premier league um then there was all kinds of during covid changes of ownership um and 
we were then put into administration. We'd won three games after the COVID break, pretty much kept ourselves in the championship, put into administration, no idea why, no idea at all why, because we had assets, lots of player assets. Um, why not wait till the end of the season? So there's all kinds of things you can read about that, conspiracy theories, bets in the Far East and all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, we then had nine months of hell you know, we were so close to losing the club. We were sick of every day, the likes of uh, an Alan Nixon or someone like that tweet, tweeting stuff out about new new owners. Then we had the administrators taking part in Twitter conversations and uh, two of the senior administrators putting out conflicting uh, yeah. statements. Um, being in administration, it, it serves a purpose, but it's awful because of the misinformation that, that you get. Uh, I mean, I'm now on the supporters trust, so I'll probably get a bit more information if the, if the same type of thing happens. But then everybody then says, well, why can't you share this information with us? The fans start, the fans start turning on each other. You've all got ideas. So then move forward. Then we've got Bahrainis coming in. You know, so this is where I'm talking about the frying pan into the fire. Now, I think the Bahrain had the heart uh, originally to do it. I don't think they were trying to rip us off. But this was an owner who lost his lost his son, pretty much lost interest, and then stopped paying any money in. He said, well, I've already paid. I've already given you 12 million. You know, what, what more do you want from me? But we were badly run. I have to say, you know, we were... 150 percent um wages to turn over i think reading's 200 percent mm -hmm. and that's not sustainable losses for people who don't really have that close affection with the club so then you into a position then where administration probably wasn't really an option for us then um i, I think we would have been administration and probably liquidated because we'd lost all our assets really at that time um, players could leave for free because of the five breaches of salary uh, regulations. It was a mess. Um, fortunately, at the, the last hour, we managed to get a local local businessman who owns the rugby who took over. And you think because of the links to the town uh, and now the fact we've, you know, we, we've gone down 25%. Um, so we've cut our budget by 75%. You know, in terms of wages, um, we're bringing a lot of academy players through. I think mm -hmm. with the Reading situation, um, it sounds like there's a lot more debt. Um, I don't know how much debt there is to all. Apparently, debt. there's 50 million worth of debt that William Story at least is willing to clear off. The problem is, William Story, I don't, I, I should put a disclaimer here and say allegedly his net worth is. A good bit below 50 million which means there will have to be other investment he brings in then to clear that debt off it's not as if he can just come in and say here's the check i'll write your debt off he, can't, he physically can't do that because again his net worth is significantly lower than that um so that's the issue it's supposed to be about 50 odd million die young has said that i mean he he wanted between 70 and 80 because that includes all the assets, such as the stadium, the state of the air training facility, which I, don't, I, I, I shouldn't put in quotation marks, but that was, I'm just saying that because that, they were his comments. But this training ground is pretty good, I'll be honest. I mean, Charlie Savage himself said this week that it's, better, that it's on par with Manchester United's training ground, which is, I can't tell, is good for Reading or bad for Man United. Um, 
I'd be looking, uh, yeah, I'd be looking into um, whether there are any covenants on that that it has mm -hmm. to be point facility because if you've got a nice space in an area like that, you might uh, they might sell it off. You know, you don't yeah. you, you don't know what they're going to do with the um, like at least with with Wigan it was safe because the there's a covenant that the the stadium can't be used for anything but um, sporting events. So it's not really worth anything for someone who wants to flip it. Well, I, I don't know. I'd have to look into it more with the turning ground and the ground itself, I guess, really. What you don't want is them in separate ownership um, because that's that can be an absolute disaster. Um, you know, we, yeah. we saw that at Derby, didn't we, with uh, Mel Morris and then Mel Morris's other company. All it, it's, it's an absolute nightmare. Um but well, the difficulty is who's who's got that money? If, if he's we're in a stalemate because if he's not in a position, he he wants his whatever sixty million. Um, that is a ridiculous valuation, uh, given like the level the level of debt that they've got. Yes, they've got they have got assets. They've not got many playing assets because I think a lot of the best players left. Um, they've still got a couple of good young players, but then as we well know. When other clubs know that you're in these mm -hmm. you know, financial difficulties, it's a fire sale. Yeah, you, you just need to bring in that little bit of money to pay the next wage, but then you've got one less player to do it. It's I think what's got the supporters trust um, the fans together. They need to uh, use soft power. So, like for example. You know the EFL. The EFL were pretty good with us this last time. You know, so if you get somebody in. Look at the owners and directors test first before before starting to talk to these people. Because in inverted commas, I'm not saying this guy is, but I know from experience that the so-called tire kickers who just want the limelight for a, you know a few weeks and they're just wasting time. Which well, time he's already done interviews with Talksport. Actually, it was I think it was Alex Crook who had a very heated discussion live on Talksport. If there's anyone listening to this that are Reading fans, I do. Uh, I, I would say to go and listen to that. It was really interesting. I think Alex Crook did a pretty good job, but it was a bit of a grilling session. Um, it, but again, it just, yeah, I suppose you're right. It, it just seems, I mean, I don't want to, I can't, I, there's really not much I can say because I, I can't, I don't want to be liable as here or ending live on a podcast, but the track record's really not great with William Story. It's really not great. And he tried to buy Sunderland before, he tried to buy Coventry City, he failed on both. And now he looks like the favourite to to Portis Reading. And as I said, I think sell before we die, the, the fan protest group have been very vocal about their displeasure with the fact that he is the guy that could potentially be buying the club if he passes the test. Uh, it's worrying times, Reading fans. It's really worrying. Um, we will we will wrap up the podcast there. There's a really interesting chat, especially the 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 the, the, the situation at Reading, which is is completely damning. Uh, Chris, what are your plans for this week? Oh, you put me, uh, you surprised me there. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> expecting, I was, I was just sitting there just listening to you guys chat and, and, and kind of taking it all in. So it, was, it was fascinating. What are my plans for the week? Well, uh, planning, I'm off to Berlin um, just at the end of the week um, with my Ooh. partner. So we're going to have a lovely time away. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my exciting plans. What, 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 um, do you have any plans for going to Berlin? Like, what you, you well, have you been there before? Are you going to go? I've see never sites? been there before. Um, I've, I've been to right. Germany multiple times. I really like Germany. I like German football a lot. Um, I'm going yeah. with my partner. Uh, it just so happens though 
that uh, that the Wednesday that we're away, which is a week this coming Wednesday, um, Union Berlin are playing at home to Napoli in the Champions League at the Olympia Stadion. Uh, so I'm been hoping to see it's sold out, but if I if German football on European nights is the same as it is for league games, there's always tickets available somewhere. Um, and my partner Steph has agreed to wander down to the uh, the Olympia Stadium and a couple of hours before kickoff. And if we can get a couple of tickets, we'll go. So yeah, that will uh, that'll be fantastic. That's not that's not the main reason we're going. Honest, she's literally just got home. She's upstairs right now, so I needed to say this quietly. I promise you, that's not the reason we're we're going. But it just so happens to be going on when we're in Berlin. Complete um, coincidence. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> My partner would never agree to go to a football game with me, ever. That is unbelievable. I'm quite jealous, actually. That, that's absolutely amazing going to see Union Berlin because the atmosphere looks crazy. Mm-hmm. I'd love to go. Absolutely unbelievable. They're on a poor run of form, actually, at the moment. But, you know, European night, you get to see the, the champions of Italy as well, which would be amazing. Adam, what are your plans for the week? Well, I'm, I'm going to uh, St. James's Park. Well, not not the not the one in the northeast, <laughs> the one in the southwest. Um well, we've got, I'm going down for the um, for the weekend, uh, so it should be. Um, hopefully, the football doesn't spoil the weekend. Um, Got to make the best of it. Last week, the football did kind of spoil the weekend at Stevenage, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, we're hoping for uh, a good result, good night. It's also if we, if we get through uh, in the rugby, it's the um, semi final and. I've been to Exeter watching Rugby Union, so it's quite um, obviously it's um, it, it's well known for its Rugby Union. So it'd be a good atmosphere mm-hmm. if England can get through against uh, Fiji. So it should make for a good weekend. And also, it's uh, Wigan against former manager Gary Caldwell, uh, and you know Cal- Caldwell's won a league title. Caldwell played with Maloney. Um, yeah. in, in the cup side, so that'll be interesting, you know, in terms of the um, the manager. Well, do you play with McManaman as well? Uh, yeah, McManaman played in the final. Yeah, Caldwell didn't play in the final; he was on the bench, but yeah. they played together in the uh, obviously in the squad. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we're also reunited with Yannick Goldschut as well, who um, was brilliant for us for six months. Uh, he pretty much won us. Him and Will Greg won us the title. And Caldwell brought him in, so they, they tend to follow managers around some of these players. But he's not really done anything since Wigan. But you just sometimes think to yourself, is he going to do something in this match? Yeah. If he does, let's hope that we 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 double what he does. Yeah, <laughs> it should be brilliant. Good. Well, I'm yourself, what you yeah. to? I'm going to eagerly wait for the Amazon delivery man to bring me my new kettle. That's what I'm going to do because. <laughs> You don't understand. Like, I, I haven't had coffee today, and my my day has been significantly just decreased in in value. I I, I love coffee. I'll drink multiple cups a day. It's a really bad obsession, and I just refuse to wait at a stove for twenty minutes waiting for water to boil. I'd rather put it in the microwave. But anyway, enough of me solving about my fourth world problems. Uh, thank you, Adam and Chris, for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed this chat. To everyone listening at home make sure to drop us a five-star rating if you enjoy it it means the world to us tune in next sunday once more as we dissect all the action from league one for your wonderful ears thank you all for listening and goodbye for now
it's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then later on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.